Our text this evening is Proverbs chapter 4, verses 10 to 19. Proverbs 4, 10 to 19. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked. And do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they've done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Well, may the Lord bless us as we consider this passage. My wife once remarked years ago, I think it was during Bible time for our family, that 1 Samuel chapter 25, the incident of David and Abigail, would make a fantastic Western. So David and his tough hombres, they're on the run from Saul. They're in the Badlands, living off the land. And they have seen Nabal's ranch. It's pretty impressive. But they've left the herd alone, even though they're hungry. And in fact, when other desperados come and try to poach, they shoo them off. Well, they're hungry. And so they ask Nabal for food. Nabal scoffs at this, sends David's compadres away. And so David says, boys, strap on your guns. Well, actually, in the text, he says, strap on your swords. And about 400 men follow David down to Nabal's ranch. And you can imagine this film score really going at this point. You know, dum da dum da dum dum da dum da dum dum da dum You know, as they're riding down and the dirt is being kicked up. Well, who comes to meet David from Nabal's place? It's a woman. It's a woman named Abigail. She brings food and she asks for forgiveness. And she recognizes that the Lord's hand is on David. Listen to what she says. And when the Lord has done to my Lord, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. What's her point? Her point is, David, don't rashly and wickedly give in to your desires for vengeance. Don't let your passion consume you and cause you to do evil when you know and I know that the Lord is going to make you king. And if the Lord's going to make you king, then guess what? He's going to keep you alive. So you don't have to pour out yourself on vengeance 
against this man, parentheses, my husband. You don't have to do that. You just wait for the Lord. And what does David do? He listens to her. He listens to her. He accepts her words of wisdom and he avoids the way of the wicked. He accepts her words of wisdom and he avoids the way of the wicked. If he'd gone the way of the wicked, he would have regretted it. But instead, he listens to Abigail. The path of the righteous shines brightly and wisdom lights the path. Instruction guides the way. The way of the wicked is deep darkness and it's characterized by ignorance. If you forget everything in the sermon, remember this one point. God is not a God of confusion, but a God of clarity. And so he addresses your God-given reason to give you counsel, to give you instruction. His way is the path of wisdom. Your wicked passions and desires are irrational. They want to cloud out your mind and, and confuse clear thinking. So in a pinch, if you're making a decision about anything, you should say to yourself, am I seeking clear instruction from the Lord or am I instead just giving in to my passion? If you can say that, then danger, right? Danger. Wisdom speaks clearly and gives light to light your way. But wickedness clouds, darkens, and confuses you. So in this proverb, we have an exhortation to a son to accept the words of wisdom. That's in verses 10 to 13. Accept the words of wisdom. Notice, and I'm emphasizing it because it's important, Notice how the way of wisdom appeals to our minds. The son is told to hear the words, to accept them, verse 10. He has been taught, verse 11. And so he must keep hold of instruction, verse 13. So you hear, you accept You have been taught, and so you hold on to what you've been taught. Christianity is not a merely intellectual religion, but it's not less than intellectual, right? It's not merely intellectual. God doesn't merely appeal to our minds. He also transforms our hearts, but he does, in fact, appeal to our minds, So we've got to hold tight to instruction. This is verse 13. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her. Why? For she is your life. She is your life. Accepting the words of wisdom can bring steady steps. Accepting the words of wisdom can keep us from stumbling, 
Look at verse 12. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. In both the Old and the New Testament, we have examples. I've chosen one from each of holding fast to the instruction of the Lord, holding fast to the instruction of the Lord, accepting and keeping and maintaining the words of wisdom, even in the face of strong opposition. In Daniel chapter three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's friends, they are confronted with a choice. Should they obey the king or should they hold fast to the instruction of the Lord? We know what they chose. They chose to hold fast to the instruction of the Lord, even in the face of great opposition. Listen to what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say to the king. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are marvelous Presbyterians. They are trusting in the providence of God. They are saying, O king, let me tell you about the power of God. Our Lord... He can, he can wipe you out. He can keep us safe. He can do whatever he wants to do. But it may be in God's good providence that he lets us burn up in your fiery furnace. But what we're not going to do is abandon the clear teaching of Scripture in the face of your threat of punishment. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hold fast to the instruction of the Lord. They accept the words of wisdom. And in case you haven't read that part of the Bible, don't worry. The Lord chooses graciously to rescue them. So that's an example from the Old Testament. Well, in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are dragged before the council in Jerusalem and the men are astonished because here Peter and John, uneducated common men, but answering them, the educated learned of Jerusalem, that great city, answering them with boldness. Why? Because they have accepted the words of wisdom. They have held fast to the truth. And so in Acts chapter 4, verses 19 to 20, Peter and John answers the council thusly, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. It's really kind of uh, cheeky of them, right? You tell us, O great wise ones, whether or not we should listen to you or God. What do you think? Should we listen to God or you? The answer is clear. We must listen to God. We must hold fast to what we have seen and heard. If you'll remember in 1 John chapter 1, 
This is a common refrain, right? I'm telling you what we've seen and what we've heard. We have heard words of truth. We have accepted words of wisdom and we are telling you so that you can hold fast to the instruction. So the question for us this evening is, will we accept the words of wisdom? Will we hold fast to the teaching of the Bible? And I think that if we're honest, if we're painfully honest, then I think we'd all say, I'll just speak for you, because uh, you don't have to say it. This is why you've got me. Um, there's some things that it's really easy to stand with the culture and to say what the Bible says. Nobody is going to get booed and run out of town for saying, you know, we ought to love people who aren't like us, right? Let me go out on a cultural limb and say, we ought to love people who are, are different. That's a message of Jesus. Now, it is a message of Jesus, but it's one in line with the culture. But if you take almost any stripe of sexuality in the culture today, and you read a passage from the Bible, people will hate you. People will hate you. One of my uh, former ministers was on television in, uh, in England, and, um, and he was defending the Bible's position that sex is for one man and one woman in marriage. And he was called a Nazi. And it's, I mean, if you saw him, he's more like um, uh, a hobbit. I mean, he's just the cutest little guy. So it's kind of like, I mean, he does not, like central casting, if you wanted to call out a Nazi, like who's going to play the Nazi? It would not be this guy, right? And so, so it, it but that's, that's where we are. So notice that in each instance from the Old and New Testament, from Daniel chapter 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Acts chapter 4 with Peter and John, they are in hot water precisely because they are holding fast to the word of truth at a pressure point with the culture. And we may find ourselves constantly talking about some of the same things, because the culture, that's, that's the pressure point with the culture. And the message is we should have the happy-go-lucky, easy-going spirit of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or Peter and John. You do what you will, but we're going to hold fast to the word of truth. We have accepted God's words of wisdom. So that's our first point. Accept the words of wisdom. The second is avoid the way of the wicked. In verses 14 to 17, avoid the way of the wicked. See what the contrast is before us. The way of the righteous, remember, is uh, it appeals to our mind. The son is told, hear the words, accept the wisdom, hold fast to the instruction. You've been taught. But what about the way of the wicked? Well, look at verse 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. What, is the, what's the, what do we need to know about the path of the wicked? Avoid it. Avoid it. 
Verse 14 actually emphasizes how much we should avoid the path of the wicked. It doesn't say avoid the path of the wicked. It says do not enter the path of the wicked. Don't even put a toe. Don't put a single toe. This is the international symbol for toe. Do not put a toe on the path of the wicked. Don't go there. Verse 15, avoid it. Do not go on it, turn away from it, and pass on. Now, a characteristic mark of the wicked is that they are unreflective about how they live. They don't care. They are eager to destroy their lives and the lives of others. Verse 16, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. Notice the play on words here. These wicked people who entice others to do evil, they see themselves as victims. They're robbers, but they've been robbed of sleep. Someone's robbing them. Well, how do the wicked live? Not with reason, not with their minds, but with their appetites. Verse 17, for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Their daily diet is wickedness and violence. It's what they dream about when they're sleeping. It's what they crave desperately when they wake up. In both the Old and New Testament, we see wicked people who are thirsty for violence and who are hungry for wickedness. In 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 5, Jezebel comes to her husband, King Ahab, and says to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you can eat no food? And he relates to her how he really wanted this vineyard that belonged to a man named Naboth. But Naboth refused to sell the vineyard to the king out of respect for his ancestors and the Lord giving his family this inheritance. Well, what does Jezebel do? She says, don't you worry, honey. I got it taken care of. And she conspires with the men of his town to have him murdered. And then King Ahab can happily and cheerfully take possession of what he acquired by violence. He was thirsty for violence. He was hungry for wickedness. And she was too. And things do not work out well for them because the way of the wicked is the way of death. That's an an Old Testament example. In uh, Mark chapter 6, Herodias' daughter uh, comes in and dances before King Herod and pleases him and his guests. And the king says to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish. And I will give it to you, even up to half my kingdom. And so the girl, the daughter, goes to Herodias, and she says, the head of John the Baptist on the platter. 
murder this prophet who was telling the king that my relationship with him was illegitimate. She was thirsty for violence and hungry for wickedness. Now, we could do two things here. We could uh, decry the people outside the church who are hungry for uh, violence, thirsty for violence and hungry for wickedness. But I think it's appropriate for us to ask ourselves, what keeps us awake at night? What do you long for in the night? Is it your irrational desire to do wickedness? Or is it your thoughtful regard for others? May the Lord himself work truth and righteousness in our hearts so that the the merest uh, presence of a wicked desire would be revolting to us, that we would so see wickedness for what it is, that we would not put a toe on the path of wickedness. So that's our second point. So accept the words of wisdom and avoid the way of the wicked. Now in verses 18 to 19, we kind of have a summary of everything, which I've called acknowledge the difference. Acknowledge the difference. That is, don't take the two commands in isolation. Take them together. Recognize that there are two ways, just two ways to live. There is the way of righteousness which is full of life and peace, and there is the way of wickedness, which is full of death and darkness. Verse 18, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. One commentator remarked about how the way to understand this phrase is if you think about there's a kind of pre-dawn light, but there's a moment when the sun really comes up in full glory in the morning, and you know that things are just going to get brighter and brighter and brighter. That is the picture of the path of righteousness. We go from strength to strength, from joy to greater joy. Not so the wicked, In contrast to the brightness of full day of verse 18, the wicked's way, verse 19, is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. The way of the wicked is the way of ignorance and darkness. You know, I was wondering as I was preparing the sermon about how often when anything uh, bad when 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 people walk down a path of wickedness, there comes a moment of surprise when they themselves are astonished that they have arrived at the place where they are in life. But their friends and their family members, they know they know what happened. They they know how this this uh, this came about. Um, we say, you know, we saw the train wreck coming. First, maybe it was a regard for or an obsession with the apparent glamour 
of the way of the wicked. There seemed to be something attractive about it. Then possibly a toe was put on the path. Then maybe there was some strolling, maybe some jogging or sprinting in the way of darkness. And that's what happens. The overdose, the arrest, the death. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Now, it doesn't have to end that way for anyone in this room tonight because there is still time to listen to the words of Deuteronomy chapter 30. Listen to these words. This is the Lord speaking. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. To give to them. There is still time while you have breath to turn from the way of the wicked and to accept the words of wisdom and in the words of Deuteronomy chapter 30 to choose life. So I encourage us all to choose life. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that your word is a sharp two-edged sword piercing the heart. And we pray for anyone whose heart has been pierced that you would draw that person to you. Lord, you are more beautiful than we can possibly imagine. You love us more tenderly and more faithfully than we deserve. You are good, kind, and gracious to your people. And we pray that you would build us all up in love. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.